this past week was my birthday, which means I got calls from my aunts. Uh, <laughs> my mom was the oldest of four girls, so the three other aunts called me. One of them asked me, why do you carry a cup of coffee up on the stage for you? That's tacky. It's rude. So I'm, I'm sorry. She doesn't know that the reason I carry this is so when one of you asks me that last stupid question, I'll sip on the coffee. I look thoughtful. <laughs> like I'm giving your words due consideration. Uh, the other, I can always tell us when my aunts, because they call me Michael. No one, in, no one else calls me Michael but family. Michael, happy birthday. And uh, Travis, my aunts want you to sing more hymns. I need, to get that, I need to get that on video so they know I told him. Otherwise, they're not going to believe me and they won't, um, they won't ease up. Um, 66 years old and I'm going, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'll tell him, yes, ma'am. Uh, still scared of them. So. <laughs> we are wrapping up today. Three weeks in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, you're wondering how we ended up with a series on the book of Habakkuk. We were planning the sermon series out and we had three weeks. There was when one series ended and another one began and someone in the room yelled out, hey, Habakkuk has three chapters. And we have a series on Habakkuk. It's a tough book. It's not one that you read lightly or quickly. Habakkuk gives us permission to ask God hard questions. As long as you are prepared to hear God's hard answers. We don't know a whole lot about Habakkuk. We can kind of piece together what was going on in his life from what he is describing. We think he was preaching around the same time uh, as Jeremiah and some of the other prophets with the, right before the fall of Jerusalem right before Babylon overran the city and the Babylonian exile began. Most of the other prophets around Habakkuk's time preached to the people, warning them that unless they turn from their evil ways, judgment is coming. And there are years and years of these warnings. There are generations uh, in, in the historical books, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, you'll you'll hear um, uh, or read a passage where an entire king's reign, uh, a king's entire reign is, is summed up in one sentence. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Or he, like his father, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's all we know. But this happens paragraph after paragraph, king after king. The people do not turn from the worship of Baal false gods. They do not turn from the worship of idols. Uh, they do not turn from immorality, worn time and time and time again by the prophets. They assume that because judgment is slow in coming, that it is not coming at all. Don't ever make that mistake. God has promised on more than one occasion that whatever we sow, we in due time will reap. Because just, uh, justice and judgment is slow means that God has given us a moment of mercy in between the proclaiming of the judgment and the execution of the judgment. 
But don't think because it is slow that it's not coming. Habakkuk looked on the horizon and could see what was happening. You didn't have to be a political scientist to figure this out. Babylon had now taken the world stage from Assyria. Babylon was now the world power. And when you read ancient history, you will know all of the great things that Babylon brought to our world, uh, law, uh, architecture, uh, science, all of this came from Babylon. And Babylon needed to control the trade routes of the ancient world, which means they needed to control Jerusalem. As they moved to control the trade routes, Egypt took to the battlefield to push Babylon back. There was a great battle. Babylon won. Egypt lost and retreated. Babylon now had the stage to itself and now was moving to Jerusalem. The Babylonian exile would redefine Jewish life. Instead of being a people of the temple, they would now become a people of the book because they couldn't get back to Jerusalem to worship. They would now gather in groups of at least 10 men and they would read the Bible together. They would study the Bible together. They would memorize large passages. They would teach the scripture. We think that the Old Testament as we know it today was mostly put together, written down during the Babylonian exile when the book was the only thing that defined Jewish identity. Babylon had an interesting way of treating its conquered nations. It would destroy the land. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple burned the ground. Remember, it was this report that broke Nehemiah's heart. The gates have burned. The walls have torn down. That was what broke his heart for him to ask the king to be able to go back to rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem would destroy the city and then it would take the best and the brightest. They would take them to Babylon. They would train them to become bureaucrats in the Babylonian government. And then they would disperse them throughout the empire to serve the Babylonian empire. That's how Daniel and his friends ended up in Babylon. Not only was there no one left in Jerusalem to mount any kind of rebellion. There was no one smart enough. There was no one strong enough. All the leaders had been taken away. And now they were serving the Babylonian Empire. This was what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Habakkuk could see it. And Habakkuk had two prayers. One, is there any way you will change your mind and not destroy Jerusalem? God's answer, no. Well, if you're going to punish Jerusalem, why are you choosing the Babylonians to do it? After all, it doesn't make much sense to punish one group of sinners by rewarding another group of worse sinners. 
if you're going to punish us, at least punish us with somebody who's better than us. God's answer, every king, even Nebuchadnezzar, works for me. There's not a king on a throne that is not there by my permission. There's not a kingdom that doesn't stand by my authority. Even the kingdom of Babylon is doing my will and accomplishing my work. Every king works for me. Wow. What do you do when you pray and you pray? Everything's on the line. Everything is at stake. And you pray and you pray and the answer is no. That's where Habakkuk was. Everything he knew he was going to lose. Everything he treasured would be taken from him. What do you do when you pray and you pray and the answer is no? Habakkuk responds with one of the greatest statements of faith in all of Scripture. Stand with me now as we read the passage from Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk writes, I heard, I trembled within, my lips quivered at the sound, rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must wait quietly for the day of distress to come against the people who are going to invade us. Even though the fig tree does not bud, there's no fruit on the vine, the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on mountain heights. Even though, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it. Believe it and live. Let's pray together. Even though things may not go right for us in any moment's time, give us the faith of Habakkuk to say even though we will still celebrate in the God you are. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> One of the hardest things to teach when you teach someone about prayer is to teach the difference between adoration and thanksgiving. Adoration and praise. Uh, adoration is a response to who God is. Praise is a response to what God has done. Um, and, and sometimes when you open for prayer, people will go immediately into praise and thanksgiving for what God has done in their life. And that is a natural thing 
to, to be mindful of how close God is to you, of what God is doing and has done, prayers that have been answered, and you celebrate those moments. Those are always great moments, but that is praise. Adoration happens when you celebrate who God is. When you encounter God, you're overwhelmed by who he is. When you encounter God, you can't remember what you came to pray for. You are overwhelmed by who he is. You don't celebrate what he's done. You marvel at who he is. God is holy. There is no one, there is nothing like him. God is love. Everything he does, everything he says comes from that heart of love. God doesn't have to do anything when he is already everything. We celebrate who he is. Everything we hope for, everything we believe is centered on who God is. We always count on God being faithful to himself. God is still God, regardless of the circumstances and situations of our life. God did not answer Habakkuk the way he wanted to be answered. Habakkuk is praying for his people. He's praying for Jerusalem to be spared. And God says, no, it's not going to happen that way, Habakkuk. There are a lot of people who sit in an average Baptist church who are bitter and angry because God didn't answer the prayer the way they wanted him to. They prayed. They prayed with everything they had. They prayed the best way they knew how. And the answer was still no. God doesn't always say yes to prayers. I don't know where we get that from, that when you follow Christ, your life is just full of unicorns and fairy dust. Jesus says no. He says no a lot. One, he says no because it's not good for you. Now, notice what I didn't say. I didn't say it was against his will. I didn't say it wasn't permissible. I said it wasn't good for you. Okay, let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, my boys and I made a trip to watch Alabama football game, and we're there on the sideline when the cheerleaders run out. The boys jump right in the middle of the cheerleaders for a picture. I have a picture of them surrounded by the Alabama cheerleaders. They're yelling at me, Dad, Dad, get in here, get in here. No. <laughs> no. There is no way that that ends well for me. No. <laughs> 
I have a picture of them. There is no picture of me. Sometimes God says no because it's not good for you. Sometimes he says no because it is against his will. God is a moral God. He has established a universe of justice and morality. And sometimes we pray for things that would break those establishing principles of creation. And God says no. What happens when God says no? Is your faith transactional? Do you believe in God because God has done good things for you? Do you have a contract with God rather than a covenant that is the party of the first part is obligated to the party of the second part because once the party of the first part fulfills his obligations and the party of the second part there is therefore obligated to respond in like manner to the party of the first part. If I pray, if I obey the rules and your stuff, then God is therefore made to bless me. What happens if he doesn't bless you? Remember the book of Job? That's how that book begins. Satan appears in the presence of God. God says, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been walking to and fro. And God says, in your walking, did you see my servant Job? I did. What did you think? And Satan says, I think you've bought him off. I think you put a hedge of protection around him and around his family. His fields are full. His barns are bulging. His kids are healthy. But let something happen. Let something go wrong. And Job will curse you to your face. And God accepts the challenge. What happens if it's the book of Mike and not the book of Job? What happens if the book begins with God asking Satan, where have you been? And Satan says, I've been in Tennessee. Did you see my friend, Mike? Yes, I did. What did you think? You bought him off. You've given him everything he's ever wanted. But you take away his wife, you take away his children, you take away his grandchildren, you take away his church, you don't let him preach, and he will curse you to your face. What happens if it's the book of you? What happens if God Give Satan permission to take everything you love and everything you hope in to take that away from you. What happens?
is your faith transactional? Paul writes to the Corinthians that there was something in his life that limited his ministry. We don't know what it was. He defines it, he describes it as a thorn in his flesh. Uh, some people say it was a speech impediment. Some people say it was some form of illness, even like a, a epilepsy or something that kept him from traveling the way he wanted to travel or preaching the way he wanted to uh, preach. We, we don't know. What we do know that for Paul, whatever this experience was, it limited Paul's ministry. For Paul to preach that this thorn would be removed made good sense to Paul. If God answers this prayer, I'll be able to do my ministry so much better, so much more effectively. Remove this thorn. Paul says, I prayed three times. Don't let that number fool you. That number is a number of completion. Paul says, I prayed all I could pray. I prayed until I was exhausted in prayer that God would take this thorn from my side. And God said, no. My grace is sufficient. That's not the answer Paul wanted. That's not the answer I want. That's not the answer you want. I don't want to have to endure something. And when somebody says, how are you doing that? And I have to answer, by the grace of God, friend. By the grace of God. What happens when God says no? When you beg that the x-ray will be different. And the answer is no. When you don't get the job you wanted, when love doesn't come home, what do you do? It was 1985. I was pastoring in Greenville, South Carolina. I got a phone call from my mom. She was desperate. They have taken your father to the hospital. We don't know. You need to get home. I called a friend to get me to the airport. I ran upstairs to pack. Get this. I threw my suitcase on the bed. I threw my clothes on the bed. I closed my suitcase. I took an empty suitcase home. So much for being cool under pressure. I didn't think I would ever get to Huntsville. When I finally got there, and I ran into the hospital and I asked where my dad was, the lady behind the counter said, I'm sorry, we don't have your dad registered here. I thought my dad had already died. My dad, being a leading politician of the town, they had put my dad in the hospital under a false name. 
they told everybody but me. When I finally found my dad, he was very sick. And there on that bed in front of me was the man who had broken the poverty cycle in my family, who had worked two jobs all my life, three jobs for some of my life, just to make sure that I would have every break that I had. So I would never have to worry about anything. And there he was. The doctor said, we don't have any choice. We've got to do surgery now. And they started the surgery. In the middle of the surgery, the doctor came out of the operating room. Your father is sicker than we thought. We don't know. So I made my way down to the chapel and I made every bargain I could make with God. I was going into missions. I, I you know, I, I, whatever, whatever, I just, anything. If my father would come through that surgery, okay. And just like I'm talking to you, here's what the Lord said to me. Get up. It's going to be all right. Now, I wish I could tell you that I left that chapel with the assurance that my father would come through that surgery. That's not what God promised me. Now, my dad came through that surgery, but that wasn't what God promised me. In that moment, God told me, get up. Whether your father lives or dies, it's all right. I am still on the throne. I am still God. It's all right. Habakkuk, I know your prayer is not going to be answered. But I want you to know, Habakkuk, it's going to be okay. I know you did not get the answer you wanted. That maybe the x-ray didn't change and maybe the Lord said no. Maybe you didn't get the job you wanted, the opportunity you wanted. Maybe you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and the answer was no, but hear me. It's going to be all right. God is still God and God is still on the throne. It's going to be all right. We trust in who God is regardless of the situations of our lives or the circumstances of our moment. God is on his throne. Hear this, Habakkuk. Hear this, Brentwood Baptist Church. God is still God. It's going to be all right. Amen.